Well, transitioning to my message, I just want you to, to think about life. And there are many things in life where what you see on the surface is not all there is. But there's a lot going on behind the scenes that you know little about. Like, like for instance, you think about seeing some performance, some basketball player, some violinist, or um, some actor on the stage... Right, You see their performance and just think, wow, that's amazing. But what you didn't see is all behind the scenes, the years and years of practice, of vocal training or, or uh, athletic training over and over. You just see the skill, but you don't know what's behind the scenes. Or see an advertisement on TV or on your web browser nowadays or on video. Though, though you see just the, you know, the, the acting and the, the videography and just whatever, the script writing. There's a lot more going on behind the scenes of the ideas and the brainstorming and the marketing and the, the costs and evaluating all that sort of stuff. You, you never see it. Or, or the war in Gaza. Um, our Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, traveled to Israel and uh, met with Benjamin Netanyahu behind closed doors. They, they talked about what took place in Israel last week and, and moving forward plans for the future. And then they, disclosed, then they had a press conference where they, they both talked. And uh, what you see is just, just on the surface... You don't realize what's going behind the scenes of the commitments they made, the promises they made. When it comes to our spiritual lives, our, our desire to walk with Jesus, right? There's much going on behind the scenes as well. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. With these verses, Paul is exhorting those in Ephesus to, to stand firm. Right? To follow the Lord with your heart and with determination, trusting in Him and His strength and of His might. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may right, wage war against the schemes of the devil. And then Paul points out what's going on behind the scenes. He says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In other words, the battle that we fight for our sanctification... Living for God and for Christ upon the earth, right? It appears earthly, but really behind the scenes in the spiritual realm are, are demonic influences and satanic powers trying to thwart us in, in every way. And that's why we are, Ephesians 6, verse 13, to take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The book of Job. We see this clearly. Job was minding his own business till one day he lost it all. He lost all his wealth with marauding bonds he, with, because of fires and, and marauding bands, right? He, he lost his family and his sons and his daughters to a great wind, maybe a tornado. Soon after, Job lost his health, co- covered from head to toe with these painful sores. He knew nothing what was taking place behind the scenes. The conversation that Satan had with God, we see behind the scenes in that instance, but such is life. Like, we live our life here, but there's so much going on behind the scenes that we, we know very little about. But it's helpful to know that something's going on behind the scenes that affects our lives. My message this morning is entitled Behind the Scenes. It comes from Revelation chapter 12. You can turn there in your Bibles. And um, here we're going to see some things taking place in our lives and the life of the world that's really behind the scenes. That helps explain the the situation we have uh, in the world. So I want to read all 17 verses. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pangs, in agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. 
His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. So when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God into his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who's called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they've conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who'd given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she was to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to help the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out of his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. What a story. Dragons and stars and cosmic warfare. We're introduced right at the beginning that this isn't taken to be taken literally in, in any sense. John calls it signs. He said, chapter 12, verse 1, and a great sign appeared in heaven. Chapter 12, verse 3, and another sign appeared in heaven. This is my, my verse, first point, is simply calling it the signs. First sign is that John saw a woman. She's described as this way, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pangs in the agony of giving birth. So let's just consider this woman, what, what John sees. This isn't a great picture, but at least it's a picture close. First we hear about a, a woman, how she's clothed with the sun. It must be that her, her clothes were bright, giving off light, a bright light, and if it's the sun himself. But it also might indicate a little bit of her size. This idea, it doesn't say that her clothes shone like the sun. He, he said even there that, that her clothes, she was clothed with the sun, like in the midst of the burning brightness. That's where she was clothed. The second John notes that the moon was under her feet. Again, makes it clear this is no mere human woman. This is a, a sign, a picture, if you will. She's big enough to have the moon under her feet. Even in the picture, you can see the curvature of the moon. Third, she wore a crown of 12 stars. Again, a, a cosmic reference. Clove of the sun, feet on the moon, Stars on her head. Of course, she was pregnant. Not only pregnant, but nine months pregnant, ready to give birth. Not merely ready to give birth, but in the process of giving birth. Crying out in agony and pains with the birth pangs. Where this picture fails, but at least it's a, 
It's a guess, an attempt. Then in verse 3, we see the second sign. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And on his heads were seven diadems. And here, obviously, we are in the apocalyptic world. A red dragon. Red maybe war. The red seal, the red horse is a war. Pretty fierce. But this, this dragon's unlike any dragon you've ever read about. This dragon had seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems. Diadems are like maybe a cloth of some type just representing royalty, power, dignity. Obviously, this is not the sort of creature you want to meet in the back alley someplace. You can see his strength in verse 4. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. The woman shines... Like the sun has has a moon beneath her feet. The dragon sweeps away a third of the stars in heaven, casts them down to earth. Just mighty power. Like this is a this is a huge like IMAX is teeny compared to what this is. This is then comes the conflict of the story in verse four. The dragon stood before the woman who's about to give birth, so that when she bore the child he might devour it. And I just say, what a what a horrific scene. When it's time to give birth, you're, you're at your most vulnerable place, women. And, and you're, not, you're, you're not thinking about the, the death of your child. You're not trying to think about, okay, I'm going to give birth and have to protect this child from someone coming and snatching the child to devour it. The time of birth is a time to think about your years to come with this child. But such is the evil intent of the dragon. It's as if he was out, standing outside the delivery room, just, just waiting until he hears the cry of the baby to break in and come and snatch that baby, to take it out, to devour that baby and to kill the baby. But it's, it's really closer than that. I think the dragon is in the delivery room next to the stirrups, just waiting for the baby to come out of the woman, ready to snatch up the child. But his stand, plans were thwarted, verse 5. She gave birth to a male child. One is to rule the the nations with the rod of iron. But her child was caught up to heaven, to God, and to his throne. All the plans of the dragon were laid to waste. Rather than destroying the child, the child was was caught up to God and and to his throne. This begins to give some identity to the woman as this child who was born was destined for, for greatness, to rule all the nations of the earth. And perhaps that's why the dragon wanted this child to stop him from ruling and reigning. Doesn't it remind you of the birth of Jesus? When Jesus gave birth and the wise men from the east came and ascertained, right, where's the Messiah, the king of the Jews, to be born? They found that it was in Bethlehem. And they went to Bethlehem. And Herod ordered the death of all the male children there, two years of old and under, trying to destroy the future king. Yet Mary and Joseph and Jesus escaped to Egypt. And Herod's plans were, were thwarted. That's similar to what's happening here. That's not what's happening here, but it's similar. Right? The, the child is born. The dragon was ready to snatch the child. <clears throat> but as verse 5 says, the child was caught up to God into his throne. At this point we read then in verse 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a, p- a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. In verses 5 and 6 we see the cosmic conflict taking place. The, the dragon about to devour the child. But God intervened. intervened taking, protecting the child, and also protecting the woman as well. Well, there are the signs that that John saw. The big question is this, what does it mean? I just described the picture that John saw, and he wrote it to us, right? Write in a book what you see. That's what he saw, that's what he wrote, that's what he sent to the seven churches. 
And, and the best way really to say what does all, all mean is to ask about the identity of the woman and the dragon and the child. Because they will carry on through the rest of the chapter. And once we nail who those are, then the rest of the chapter hopefully will unfold for us. We'll see what it's talking about. So let's begin with the identity of the dragon because that's easiest. John tells us who the dragon is. In in verse 9, he tells us who the dragon is. And the great dragon was thrown down. And we'll read about that, this war, this, this fight. And he lost the fight and he was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels are thrown down with him. So here the dragon is identified as the devil himself. Simple enough, right? So who's that dragon? That seven-headed dragon? That's Satan himself. And by the way, he's going to come in chapter 13. He's called the beast. Anyway, we got, we got dragon. Now let's go to the next easiest, which is the child. And, and again, I think let's go to the child because there's some clues about the identity. Look at verse 5. It says, she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron. And that's a reference to Psalm 2, just clear as can be. We, we've looked at it the last couple of weeks, even in Psalm 11, or Revelation chapter 11, alluded to that psalm, like in, in verse 18, the nations raged, but your wrath came. It's an allusion to Psalm chapter 2. And here we see the, the raging of the nations in Psalm 2, against the Lord and against His Christ. Psalm 2, verse 3, these nations are saying about God, about His anointed, about the Messiah, let us break their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. But God sits in the heavens and He laughs at their feeble attempts to take power and authority from God. He installs His King anyway. Though they're writhing against God and are fighting against Him, God says, listen, I've, I got my King. Psalm 2, verse 6. That's for me, I've set my King on Zion, my holy hill. And Psalm 2 then continues to describe His power and His reign. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a, a potter's vessel. This is exactly the same phraseology as used here in Revelation 12 verse 5. The male child was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. Who's this child? I think it's Jesus, the Messiah. There are other clues in the text that help us to identify Jesus. The, the child is, is caught up to God in, in verse, verse 5. Caught up right to the very throne of God. Did you, did you see that there? He was caught up to God and to his throne, sitting at the right hand of God, if you will. And who sits at the right hand of God? It's Jesus, waiting from that time on to make his enemies a footstool for his feet. Psalm 110, verse 1. So the dragon is Satan, the child is Jesus. Let's think about the woman. It's a little more difficult. First glance, someone might easily say it must be Mary, the earthly mother of Jesus. Yet, there are difficulties with the text that lead us from that interpretation. First of all, is the appearance of the woman. Dazzling strength, shining like the sun, moon at her feet. That's not how we ever see Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary's always seen as a lowly, humble servant of God. And never any hints about, about power and glory like Jesus. Even yes, he was humble, but there were glimpses that the, this, he's a lamb, but boy, he's a lion. And he even saw that in his ministry. Not so with Mary. Another difficulty is the focus of the dragon's wrath. We see later that the the dragon pursues the woman to destroy her. Look at verse 13. 
And the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth. He pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she's to be nourished for a time, times, and half a time. And never in the whole Bible do we see Satan's wrath turned against Mary with such great vengeance against her. A third difficulty, the offspring of Mary. When the dragon is unsuccessful at destroying the woman, he turns his wrath upon her offspring. And look at verse 17, how they're identified. The dragon became furious of the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring. And here's how they're defined. Here are the rest of, here's her offspring. Those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. It, it, it seems as if the physical offspring of Mary is far too limiting. The whole passage here is talking about cosmic warfare and to, de, to just limit Satan's wrath against Mary's children. Isn't it ironic that the Catholic Church would hold this to be Mary, and yet when it talked about Mary's offspring, of course she was perpetual Virginia, she didn't have any other offspring. Like, okay, little problem there. So I don't think Mary's the woman. And there might be an allusion to some of the, the great women of the Bible. Maybe it has an allusion back to Eve. You know, just the, the, the one who's going to come from her seed, there's going to become who's going to come and, and ruin reign, perhaps. But I think the best way to take this woman is to see that she's describing the people of God. I think it it fits better because, you think about it, how was Messiah born? He was born from the Jewish people, from the people of God. The Old Testament, Israel, is often referred to as a woman that God loves. And then when Israel went astray, his heart broke for her that she was an unfaithful prostitute. The Lord anguishes her over a man does and a wife proves unfaithful. And the woman imagery even continues into the New Testament. The, the, the church in the New Testament is called the, the bride of Christ. We are a woman, if you will. The one who will be married someday to Jesus. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Revelation 19, we're going to see that when the church and Jesus are married. Right, The, the marriage that God has given us is a, is a sign and a union of a, a man and a woman to be together in oneness. And that's what we will be with God someday. We are the bride of Christ. So, further, I think the people of God are best described, as verse 17 says. Those who keep the commandments of God hold to the testimony of Jesus. This is what characterizes the people of God. We, we, we keep His commandments. We, we hold to His testimony. Not, not just merely the offspring of, of Mary. So let's step back and see the meaning of these signs. You have a woman who appears in heaven with all her glory. I believe is the nation of Israel that God loved. The dragon, which is Satan, desperately working to destroy this Messiah who's to be born out of Israel, out of the, the Jews. But Jesus, the Messiah, is born. And verse 5 takes us through his whole life, from his birth to his ascension. Look at there, verse 5. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. There's just one verse. We, we've got from his birth to his ministry and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and glorification have just all right there just one little verse is is who that is then the woman the church right having born this male child then this people of god transferred from the israel into the church where we are nourished by god and protected by attacks from the devil that's really the story of the entire bible is it not back in the garden even given the pro- Eve was given the promise that one of her offspring would rise up and crush the head of the serpent. And, and the people of Israel were always longing for this child to come. There were prophecies. For unto us a child is born. 
Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Satan knew this child would come. Who's ready to to pounce on this child. But God protected this child. Even Satan tried to kill him at birth through Herod. Even when Satan tried to seduce him to sin through the temptation of the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. Even, even when he thought he conquered him on the cross. Yet the resurrection proved Jesus triumphant and now Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God. That's, I think, what's happening. you got the whole story of the Bible just right here. So kind of, you know, again, I, I talked last week. Is Revelation all sequential? No, I think we're stepping back now. We're seeing the whole plan of God. From the Old Testament people of God to the New Testament people of God. Jesus right in the middle and he's ruling and he's reigning But though the dragon didn't get the child, Satan isn't done. He seeks to destroy the followers of Jesus. The offspring of the women, if you will. But Jesus has promised to build His church and He protects them in the wilderness is what's called here. And what a comfort this would be to the original hearers. To those who are going through some difficult days of persecution, to know that behind the scenes, Satan's plans have been thwarted. Messiah came, God protected him, and he is conquered. And God now is there nourishing his church. It's the message of Revelation, right? The the Satan schemes and attacks. God's with his people, protecting them from the schemes of the devil. Strengthening and nourishing them in the wilderness. And in this you can trust. You can trust that God will nourish you through the trials and tribulations that come your way. Because God is so working behind the scenes that that's what He is doing. Now there's a question here about the meaning of the, tw- of the 1,260 days. Is it only three and a half years? Does God only nourish people for three and a half years? Is this maybe some future three and a half year time? Perhaps, but after Jesus was born, I mean, the, the three and a half years might take him until he's three and a half years old, but then after that, how does that, how does that work out? Or, or just after his death, and Christopher, is there three and a half years or maybe something in the future? I don't know. It, 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 it could be some of those. Or it may be that it's symbolic. There are many who believe this is symbolic of the entire church age. God's nourishing the people of God. Just signified here, just as three and a half years. Sort of a, a code time. Perhaps... That's the case? I don't know, but it's all in the background. It's all behind the scenes that God is protecting and nourishing His people. Well, let's move on. We've seen the signs. Now the war in heaven comes in verses 7 through 12. And the same characters are going to be there. Right? Actually, they don't come up till later, but we see the dragon. Now, war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. What a scene this must have been for John to witness. Angelic battlefield. How cool would that have been? I mean, I'm not sure how angels and demons fight. We fight with fists, and with swords, and bows, and arrows, and and guns, and tanks, and missiles, and nuclear warheads. I'm not sure how they fight. But the war was great. Here's Michael and his legion, his, his army of angels. Here's Satan and his army of angels. One can only imagine the firepower in this fight. If the dragon can sweep away a, a third of the stars with his tails, think about how they would have waged war against one another. I mean, this is Star Wars to the nth degree. Yet Michael and his angels proved victorious. 
And like any other war, those who are defeated are either killed or banished. In this case, Satan was defeated and banished from heaven. We find out in verse 9 where Satan was sent. And the great dragon, we read, was thrown down. That ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth. And his angels were thrown down with him. Defeated in heaven, Satan now wages his war on the earth. And we are much less powerful than Michael and his angels. You'd think he'd be able to crush us. But the example of Job shows that no, God is in control of how much Satan can and can't do with us. But not only Satan waging war on earth, but all of his fellow angelic followers. Satanic angels are demons. Angels and demons are really the same types of beings. Just one is good and one is bad. The world is filled with his demons. But listen, we need not fear. Because he's a defeated foe. That's the point of the proclamation given in verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. Sounds a lot like chapter 11 verse 15. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. We looked at that last week. Sounds like here's, here's the victory. The, the, the proclamation of victory is that the verse 10, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. And this maybe helps us to give a little time frame of when exactly this war happened. It wasn't before the foundation of the world. It wasn't during the days of the Old Testament. It appears to be soon after Jesus conquered Satan on the cross by rising from the dead and taking away the, the sting of death. And this may be or, or a consequence to that or something of that because we see the victory coming in verse 10 mentioning the authority of Christ has come. So Christ has, has reigned supreme. He's, he's conquered. He has he's won the battle. And so at some point after the death of Jesus, his, his victory, his resurrection, this great war took place in heaven. And we knew nothing about this war. Now some say, well, this war will be in the future, and maybe. Um, but we know that today, Satan has been defeated through the work of Jesus. The result is that Satan was thrown down to earth. And here's what he does. He's the accuser of our brothers because he accused them night and day before our God. Now, again, right here's apocalyptic literature. How can he accuse them before God if he's on the earth? How can, night and day, like it seems like he's before God accusing them, and yet he's been banished and cast to the earth. I have no idea. Just enjoy the apocalyptic and lean into it. But he is the one accusing us. But listen, good news, church family. Our advocate is better than the accuser. Right? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect peace. Plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. We have a great high priest, Jesus, who pleads for us in light of the accusations of the accuser. When Satan accused the brothers, our advocate Jesus responds every time. What do you say? I died for that sin. Oh, well, look at this person, right? Well, look at what he did. I died for that sin. I died for that sin. You're right, Satan, but I died for that sin. He's accusing us of our sin and how we can't get into heaven, how we can't be made right with God. And every time Jesus says, I died for that sin. 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 
My name is graven on his hands. My name is written in his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. No accusation of, of Satan against us in heaven will cause us to depart because Jesus will say what? I died for that sin. Even the tongue of the accuser can't cast us away from the love of Christ. We sang today, a mighty fortress is our God. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fell Him. And though the world is filled with devils, and though they try and threaten to undo us, we have no need to fear. Right? Because truth will triumph. The work of Christ. One little word shall fell him. The word is a testimony of our faith in Christ. Look at verse 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. The picture of verse 11 is the picture of persecution and martyrdom, which the original hearers right, were facing. Potential martyrdom by the, the Roman Empire. And in fact, the first 250 years of the church, she faced tremendous persecution. And many faithful followers of Jesus lost their lives. You know that Colosseum in Rome? They didn't watch football games there. They watched Christians burn at the stake. That was their entertainment. Let's bring on the Christians. Let's watch them burn. They watched Christians being fed to the lions. Because the Christians refused to worship the emperor. They refused to renounce Jesus because they loved their Savior more than they loved their very lives. Verse 11 says they loved not their lives even unto death. And their testimony was victory. Verse 11, they conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Right? It was the blood of Jesus that cleansed them from sin. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin. That's the victorious word that we have. Trust in Christ alone. His blood to cleanse you. And then the word of their testimony stood firm. That was their victory. They have conquered by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of His testimony. But neither of these things look like victory. Do you win by someone dying on a cross? Someone like Normally the victor is the one who stands. Right? He, he stood later, but the blood represents His death. Dying for our sins. And yet, also here, right? Didn't look like victory, giving a word of testimony, and then they died. Didn't look like victory any more than Jesus dying on a cross looked like victory. But that's how God wages war against the devil. The same way that Jesus did. We entrust ourselves to the Lord, and there's the victory. Is that God gets the glory. Peter wrote to a persecuted people. His advice was this. Right, First Peter, the message of suffering now, but glory later. Right, They're persecuted. They're, you're going to go through difficult times. And you're going to suffer now. But the glory is coming later. He said this, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing good. It's what we're called to do in the midst of persecution, in the midst of hardship. Trust our faithful creator that he's got things under control. He's, he's doing good. And Peter gave this advice because that's what Jesus did on the cross. That's the path to victory. When Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. 
But he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. 1 Peter 2.23 Death and destruction may come in the world. And certainly it comes by human hands. Yet behind the scenes, the devil himself has demons, right? Waging war against us. And God sustaining us through us trusting in him. Again, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. And what's going to help you is to realize there's an unseen fight. And realizing that Satan is a defeated foe. Michael and his archangels have defeated him and, and they've come down to earth. As verse 12 says, therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, right? Because the devil is gone. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, for he knows that his time is short. He's come down in great wrath. Accuse the brethren, do whatever he can behind the scenes to thwart us, to pull us away from our confession of faith in Christ. His time is short. He, he knows that his death sentence is coming. He's like a prisoner on death row. There's nothing to lose. He can try to escape. What's going to happen? They're just going to put him in, in jail again and add another 50 years to his sentence. It doesn't matter. I'm on death row. I'm dying anyway. Someone on death row can kill someone without threat. Well, you're going to die. I'm dying anyway. And that's where Satan is. He can do all he can do against the brethren. But that's where Martin Luther says, right? Here's wage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. We can endure that when we know we're going to conquer. We conquer as Jesus did, through our death, perhaps. But don't fear him, he's defeated, his time is, is short. And we see then just his, his war upon the earth. And my third point here, we've seen the war in heaven when... Satan is cast down, and now we see the war on earth. Verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Now all of a sudden, right, time is like, well, okay, so the woman who had given birth to the child, but the war was right after Jesus ascended and, and conquered, if that was the war, and then he's thrown down, he's been defeated. Is he really trying to go back to pursue Mary, who gave birth to Jesus some 30-plus years before? meek and mild Mary? No, I don't, I don't think so. It's rather the woman is representative of the, the people of God. He's, he's going down to, to pursue those right who had, who had produced the male child, the, the Jews, and now the church right who follows him. I think that's what this is saying. Satan pursues us indeed. 1 Peter 5.8 Again, to this persecuted people. Same context of Revelation. Persecuted people. Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan's posture today is that. He's a roaring lion, seeking to devour us. Peter's counsel is this. Resist him. Firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. The comfort that, Jesus, that Peter gives to those who are facing the onslaughts of Satan is that, you know what, other people are experiencing this too. This is nothing new. They're overcoming, so you too can press on and overcome through Jesus. He will give you the strength. And that's the message right here. Overcome through Jesus. He's going to give you the strength. Verse 14. Look at the strength given to the woman. The woman was given two wings of the great eagle. So they might fly from the serpent into the wilderness. To the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time given wings 
So this, this woman, right, just, I don't know how they attached them on. Super glue or something? I don't know. Like, he's got wings to fly. And of course, that's symbolic and, and apocalyptic to describe just the, the fleeing and the success. This is not as someone say, oh, the American eagle. This is where America is in the prophecy. It's not talking about America. It's talking about the people of God being strengthened like these, these wings like eagles. And this is an allusion to Israel during a time of trouble. In Exodus 19, after they'd come out of Egypt with the plagues, Moses went up to the mountain. The Lord called to him and said this, you shall, thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, Exodus 19.4, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, right? How I smashed them with the plagues and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Eagle's wings are like a sign of, of strength and victory that you can fly away. A serpent, right? A serpent can't very much get an eagle when he's in the air. It's a picture here. God sustained them through the trial of the plagues. It's, it's alluded to other places in the scripture. The promise of Isaiah 40, even you shall be faint and weary. Young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. In other words, they'll be given power and strength to overcome that God will sustain us in all our weaknesses. We simply need to trust in Him. Trust in Him to give us the strength. That's the message here of Verse 14, nourish the woman. We need to trust him. And again, we see the woman going again into the wilderness, wherever this is, right? This wilderness, is it a real wilderness? Is it a, a, it's symbolic of just difficult time of trouble. But you remember, John said, I was a fellow partaker of the tribulation that you're in. The hardship. Life is hard. It's difficult. It's like we're walking through a wilderness. But that's where we find safety with God. And then he's nourished for a time, a time's and half a time. Okay, let's think about this. Time, times, and half a time. How long is that? Hey, time is one. Times is two. And half a time is a half. Three and a half. How many months is three and a half? 42 months. How many days is 42 months? 1260. Like all these are, are references again. And we come back here to this reference. What What is this reference? Is it... Is it after the death of Jesus that he just comes down and for three and a half years was there time of great tribulation and then after that? I don't, I don't think so. Maybe it's something in the future. I think that perhaps it's even symbolic of just the time of difficulty and trouble. God will sustain him. And we see another testimony of deliverance, 15 16. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. Kind of like he's learning from God. When, when God wanted to destroy people the first time, cast a flood down there, right? He's, he's learning, and here it comes from his mouth. If you can sweep away a third of the stars from the sky, certainly you can flood the earth with the water from your mouth, all right? But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. And you just see the dragon trying to, trying to get the people, trying to get this woman. And, and whatever he's trying is just, is just being frustrated. Think of Wiley Coyote pursuing Roadrunner, just like every time, pursuing these traps or floods or whatever, and beep, beep, zooms right on through, and ah! And that's what Satan is. We see his furious anger come out here in verse 19, 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman. He just, he can't destroy this woman. He's trying, but yet God, whether sucking up all the water or, right, just, Preventing him, giving the wings, right? You're about to pounce, and then the, the woman flies away. The dragon became furious with frustration, certainly, with the woman 
and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring. And, and again, right here, I thought the women were the offspring of God, right? That, and so again, he's just apocalyptic literature. I think he's just talking about, he's just, whoever is following Christ, whoever is along that offspring of the, the woman. And here's how, how they're described, though, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. Now, who, is, who is Satan after? He's after those who obey the Lord recognize the Lord as the Lord and, and submit themselves and obey and follow after Him. Those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus the gospel, right? That, that Christ Jesus came and died for my sins. He's set me free. I'm on Christ's side. I'm not on your side, Satan. Here's a dragon standing by the sand of the sea. And that, that's an allusion here to chapter 13. But we'll get to that next time when I come back from Nepal. A couple weeks from now. But here, all this is, is happening sort of behind the scenes. It's all taking place, this, this spiritual warfare. And I just want to encourage you, when, when you're at your most vulnerable time, as a woman would be giving forth birth to a child, like a woman is not thinking much, very vulnerable. And it's, it's at that point that God will come and help and protect. He protected Jesus. He protects his people. Even if it means their death, God is still obtaining the ultimate victory. As he works behind the scenes. We're going to transition here to the Lord's Supper. But let, let me pray first and just pray that we would apply that. And then, you know, we, we think here about verse 11 is a nice transition to the Lord's Supper. Oh, Father, I would pray you would help us to see. And, and, and there's lots of, lots of difficulty here in understanding, particularly the identification of this woman and identification in this time and Maybe it's something in the future, but it certainly happens today, and it's certainly true right now. It has always been true, your church. You've promised to build your church. You're building your church, oh God. It's through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. You take us through tribulations and hardships and difficulties to bring us to yourself. But I, I pray that we would see that though the nations rage, you sit in the heavens and laugh, and you establish your king. And here, though, though Satan would rage, and though he would make war against the believers in Christ, those who have been sanctified by his blood and keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus who love not their lives even to death. That's the object of Satan's wrath. And even as he goes against peaceful, loving people to destroy them, God, I pray that, that we might trust in you and, and overcome like we need to by, by keeping the word of the testimony of Jesus. By trusting that He alone is sufficient and He will carry us through and He will take us through life what is good for Him and for us. What's good for you, O oh God, is good for us. Strengthen us like you would have those first readers of the, the church, the churches in Asia Minor. And help us even now to remember the, the death of Christ, to strengthen us God, through the, the bread and through the cup. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.